0: Good morning, my cup holder, I forgot I took it out for the service, uh, we'll just set it down here, we don't need it, just give me a minute, it's good to see you, some guests, I'm Pastor Brandon Smith by the way, we'll put that on, it's been a little wild morning, we don't have internet so we've been uh, running around a little bit but we'll uh, we'll get things going. I got a question. Do any of you have a favorite Christmas movie? Huh? Maybe one that you watch every year? Shout them out. What's yours? A Christmas Story. All right, that made the list. Anyone else? A Wonderful Life. Life. Elf. Ah, Elf. You guessed it. Stephanie and I, A Christmas Vacation. Stephanie and I's favorite Christmas movie one we've watched almost every year since it came out, is Elf. If you haven't seen the movie, well, here's a spoiler alert. You've had 14 years to watch it, so I'm just going to kind of give away the ending. Near the end of the movie, there's uh, a news reporter, Charlotte Denon, New York One, reporting live from New York City. And a crowd of people have gathered in Central Park because they heard a loud crash. Some have even claimed that it was Santa's sleigh. The news reporter doesn't believe it though. Turns out the sleigh crashed because it runs on Christmas spirit and there wasn't enough of it to keep the sleigh flying. There wasn't enough Christmas spirit because so many people could not recognize Santa for who he is. Fast forward a bit and I guarantee this does connect to the sermon. Just wait. Fast forward, and Buddy the Elf's girlfriend is leading the crowd in a moving rendition of Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and the Christmas spirit is rising and rising and rising, and before you know it, Santa's sleigh flies right over their heads. But right before the TV cameras are able to catch the footage, it blacks out, and the newsman on the other side of the blackout says, Charlotte, Charlotte, well... I guess you'll never know for sure what happened this Christmas Eve in Central Park. I share this with you, not just because it makes me very, very happy to think about the movie Elf. It does. But I share it because I think there's something similar going on in our own day. Except it's not Santa that we can't recognize. It's God. To be more specific, we cannot recognize god's activity in the world i mean the actual world in which we work and play and love and fight we find it very difficult don't we to recognize god's activity in the world it's not that there aren't plenty of signs like santa's sleigh in central park there are signs and it's not that god is twiddling his thumbs in the sky daydreaming the time away god's not it's not that God's kingdom is purely a future reality. No. Rather, at the time of Jesus' death and resurrection, God's kingdom is ushered in, and God rules now the world through word and spirit. And we are invited every day to live in this kingdom. If that's true, if God's active, maybe even hyperactive, why is it that it's so hard for us, even for us Christians, to recognize god's activity in the world today what's more our mainstream media i think resembles the news channel in elf <laughs> right before santa and his sleigh are captured for the the truth for all to see it blacks out except i think instead of blacking out signs of santa's presence our media has a way of blacking out signs of god's presence Now, I'm not just adding my voice to complaints. I'm not saying that media doesn't help us with certain things. If you want to learn about the new tax bill, then turn to the media by all means. But if you want to learn what God has done at the end of the day, and you turn to the news channel, you probably aren't going to learn much. Instead, you may even be persuaded that God really hasn't been up to much at all today. Based on the news report... It appears that God has just been at a distance, simply observing us human beings messing things up. So why is it so hard for us to recognize what God is up to in the world on a regular basis? Our scripture passage for today is about recognition. It's about recognizing people for who they are, recognizing things for what they are, and responding accordingly. We're making our way through the Gospel of John. We began last week with John's poem on the Word made flesh. We'll meander our way through John all the way to Easter Sunday. Today we reflect on chapter 1, verse 19 through 34. Now before we read, let us pray. Christ the Lord, we are here this morning, gathered around the manger, and we adore you. We have come to behold you and to be held by you. We have come to get a good look at the one who is called both the Son of God and Son of Man, the Word wrapped in flesh and dressed up like a lamb. But we need your help. We can't see very well. In fact, unless you open our spiritual eyes, we can't see a thing. So that's our prayer. Would you open our eyes this morning? And reveal yourself to us once more, so that we might recognize Jesus who stands among us, and that we might respond accordingly. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord from the Common English Bible. This is John's testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him, Who are you? John confessed. He didn't deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? John said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? John answered, no. They asked, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied, I am a voice crying out in the wilderness, Make the Lord's path straight. Just as the prophet Isaiah said, Those sent by the Pharisees asked, Why do you baptize if you aren't the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered, I baptize with water. Someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. He comes after me, but I'm not worthy to untie his sandal straps. This encounter took place across the Jordan in Bethany, where John was baptizing. Now, the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one about whom I said, he who comes after me is really greater than me because he existed before me. Even I didn't recognize him, but I came baptizing with water so that he might be made known to Israel. John testified, I saw, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, But the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, The one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and testified that this one is God's Son. This is the word of the Lord. Did you pick up on the theme of recognition in our text? Who are you, the priests ask. Someone greater than you stands among you, whom you don't recognize, John answers. Even I didn't recognize him, John admits, twice. Our text is full of folks who cannot recognize others for who they really are. So, let's start with the priests and and their assistants, who are called the Levites. While droves of ordinary Jews are going out to the desert to hear John's message of renewal, most of the Jewish leaders stayed home where it was cozy and comfortable. I'm sure there are some who stayed home today where it's cozy and comfortable, That was the case for the Jewish leaders at the time of John baptizing in the desert, except for a handful of priests and their assistants, the Levites, who show up in our text. But they don't show up to be baptized. They show up because they're sent by the strict Pharisees in Jerusalem, and they're sent to extract certain information from John. Now remember Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of power for the Jews. This means that those who are questioning John have been sent by the top of the religious food chain. It'd be like the Pope sending priests to question some unorthodox Catholic teacher. Hey, sounds kind of like what happened to Martin Luther. I had to give one last Reformation uh, note at at the end of 2017 for the 500-year anniversary. So the priests begin the conversation, the ones who are sent by the top of the religious food chain. They begin the conversation by asking John, Who are you? Now this question in and of itself is revealing, especially once we understand the context. Who are you? They ask. On the surface, the question simply reveals that they don't recognize John for who he is. But on a deeper level... The question reveals the extent of their spiritual blindness. Who are you, they ask. It's an odd question coming from them. They should have known already. They should have known because John's father, Zechariah, was a priest. And they are priests, some 30 years later. And something happened when John's father was a priest. That is not quickly forgotten. Do you recall the story of Zechariah? Do you recall what happened on that startling day when John's father, Zechariah, entered the most holy place of the temple? Surely these priests had heard the story. Surely it had been passed down from one generation to the next. Surely the tale had been told from time to time when they were on lunch break in the temple. If we had time to retell it, we could all see the absolutely ridiculous nature of the opening question from the priests and the Levites. Who are you, they ask. They should have known. If we had the time, we would realize just how great is their inability to see God's activity for what it is. Actually, I've got the time. Do you have the time? All right, well, I'll take that as a yes. Listen to this story, would you? Consider the story that these priests surely would have heard 30 years before their conversation with the father, the the, the son of of Zechariah. It's the Day of Atonement. It's the holiest day of the year for Jews, both ancient and modern. Yom Kippur, they call it now. Back in Zechariah's day, it was the one day a year that a high priest chosen at random could enter the most holy place of the temple. This year, Zechariah is the lucky winner. He enters with fear and trembling, as they always do. Right before he enters, a rope is tied around one of his ankles. This was just a precaution, but they did it every year. The rope was in place just in case the Lord's glory struck him dead. The rope, you see, would enable others to pull out the poor priest without having to suffer the same fate themselves. So Zechariah enters, prepared for the sacred duty of offering sacrifice on behalf of the sin of Israel. Now, if Zechariah used Twitter... He could have tweeted a selfie of him with a picture about to enter the temple and this hashtag, behold the scapegoat who takes away the sin of Israel. After several uh, preliminary actions, Zechariah finally pulls back the curtain and he walks through the veil separating the holy place from the most holy place. Can you picture this? And what happens next is indeed most holy. On that momentous, memorable day, the Lord's glory struck Zechariah, but the Lord's grace was there too. An angel appeared to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will give birth to your son, and you must name him John. Zechariah wasn't so sure. They were very, very old. His doubts rendered him speechless, a condition that followed him for the next nine months. Meanwhile, a crowd of worshipers outside were waiting for Zachariah, wondering what was taking so long. Was it time for the rope? Finally, he comes out to the relief of an anxious congregation, but he's unable to speak. That's when everyone realizes that he has seen a vision, but they couldn't be told what it was about. Then, a few months later, everyone realized something else. It was a small bump on the belly of his wife, a baby bump. Then, the time came for the aged Elizabeth to have her child And she gave birth to a boy, and she named him John. This is the same John in our scripture text for today. Now the neighbors were perplexed, saying, but none of his relatives have that name. But Zechariah, still speechless, confirmed the name by writing it out. His name is John. Now at that moment, God enabled Zechariah to speak again, and he began praising God. And then, get this, Luke 1, verse 65. All their neighbors, every last one of them, all their neighbors were filled with awe. And everyone throughout the Judean highlands talked about what had happened. All who heard about this considered it carefully. They said, what then will be of this child? Friends, this child has now grown up, and he is John, who is baptizing in the desert. And the priests and Levites have come to question him, and they begin by saying, Who are you? Do you see now what a ridiculous question that is? Surely they had heard the story that spread throughout the Judean highlands. Surely they understood that he was the prophesied son of Zechariah. Nothing had happened in the temple for the past 30 years that was even close to as remarkable as what happened that glorious day of Zechariah and his vision. All the information was at the disposal of these priests. The knowledge of all of it should have been enough to persuade them. They should have recognized John, For who he was. This is when our theme of recognition emerges. They should have recognized, you see, they should have had their eyes opened to the fact that John was a prophet. Not the prophet, but the one who would prepare the way for the Messiah, the hero of Israel. So when they see John with their own eyes, a proper response would have been, to follow all the others who were being baptized in the Jordan. Knowing what they knew, they should have ripped off their shirts and rolled up their slacks and taken a dip in the waters of renewal, anticipating with joy what might happen to Israel through the one called Jesus. That would have been an appropriate response as they beheld John the Baptist. Knowing what you know, what would be an appropriate response for you to the good news of the babe born in the manger? (laughs) The priests fail to respond appropriately. Instead Instead of taking the plunge into the pure rivers of life, they stick to the script handed down to them by their superiors. They fail to follow the breadcrumbs to the path of life that leads to Jesus. They disregard all of the signposts that point to the eternal kind of life that is now and goes on forever. They fail to recognize John for who he is, God's messenger, and neither can they see the new thing that God is doing in Jesus. And they certainly cannot imagine how this Jesus born in a manger, a feeding trough, they certainly can't imagine how he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So they don't recognize him. But what about John the Baptist? The priests and the Levites, they weren't the only ones that failed to recognize reality in our scripture. Even the upright Baptist admits twice that he didn't recognize Jesus either. Surely, John should have known when he saw him. This is the same John who leaped in his mother's womb at the sight of Mary way back when. So, John recognized Jesus in utero, but now he fails to recognize him as a 30-year-old. As he grew up, John the Baptist, he, he came to understand that his sole purpose in life was to prepare the way for the Messiah. But in spite of all this, when the Messiah finally shows up on the scene, John doesn't recognize him. So on the one hand, we've got the priests who don't recognize Jesus. And on the other, we have John the Baptist who doesn't recognize Jesus. I wonder if we recognize Jesus and his actions in the world. But what's the difference, you see? What's the difference between John the Baptist and the priest? As far as we know, the priests and the Levites, they never come to a recognition of who Jesus really is. As far as we know, they remain in the dark. And according to Jesus, as far as we know, their future is rather bleak. If you don't believe that I am, Jesus says in John 8, You will die in your sins. But the future is rather different for John the Baptist. Truly, his earthly fate does not end so well, if you know the story. But does anyone doubt that even now he is experiencing, right now, all the pleasures of God? That's because John the Baptist somehow goes from a lack of recognition to a state of recognition Somehow he transitions from being blinded to who Jesus is to seeing Jesus as he truly is. What is it that brings him to a place of recognition? And what is it, how, how do we come to a place of recognizing reality for what it is? In a word, grace. In two words, Word and sacrament. Grace because because John was unable to recognize Jesus on his own. Even though he was a relatively good person, he admits he couldn't recognize Jesus on his own. But God was the one who opened his spiritual eyes that he might see God's activity in the world. And so it is with us. Holy Spirit of Jesus, open our spiritual eyes that we might see your life springing up around us. What means does God use to open John's eyes? Word and sacrament. John testified, I saw the Spirit coming down from heaven like a dove, and it rested on him. Even I didn't recognize him, But the one who sent me to baptize with water, he said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit coming down and resting is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Friends, God opened John's eyes in the same way that he opens ours. He spoke to him a word, and he confirmed that word with a sign. Word and sacrament. This is the long-held wisdom of the Reformed tradition. If you want to grow spiritually, if you want to be closer in your connection to the divine, if you want to grow in your capacity to recognize God's work in the real world, in the world where we work and play, in the world where we love and fight, if you want to see God in the world, then make use of what God has given word and sacrament. These are the ordinary means of grace. They're not sensational or extraordinary. Perhaps that's what we prefer. Sometimes God acts like this, but normally God speaks his grace and works it into us through word and sacrament. This is the time-honored tradition. It's tested and true. These are what opened John's eyes, and they will open ours, too. If if you approach them with even a mustard seed of faith, you might just behold the word of God made flesh for us and our salvation. If you approach the table and the pulpit with just a mustard seed of faith, you may behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What is the sin of the world, anyways? Before we move on to taste and see this feast of the Lamb, consider with me for just a minute what it is that the Lamb takes away for you and I. What is the sin of the world, that John, as John calls it? It's interesting that this is the only time this phrase appears in the entire Bible on the lips of John the Baptist here. So what does it mean? John uses the word sin in the singular and not sins in the plural. That's interesting. We tend to think of our sins in terms of our moral failures. But John is not simply talking about individual sins here, like cheating on a spelling test in eighth grade by writing the answers on the desk and then covering it up with your arm and then erasing it with your spit after the end of the test. That's just one hypothetical example of the sort of individual sins we might commit. Of course, our individual sins are included in John's phrase, the sin of the world, but they are not the focus here. According to John, our moral failures are only a part of a much larger system. The entire system is broken, as John sees it. The whole universe is fractured. The pillars of society are tottering. There is something deeper at work than our individual sins. It's as if some dark magic has cast its spell on the universe, to use an analogy from Narnia. That's why I think John the Baptist comes up with the phrase the sin of the world. He knows that sin is not just personal, rather it's been etched into the fabric of the universe ever since humanity moved east of Eden. There are cosmic dimensions sin and evil, and they've been set loose in the world. So John comes up with a new term to describe it all. He calls it the sin of the world. Do you recognize sin for what it is? Friends, I think the problem today is not that there are a few people with severe moral faults. Neither do I think the problem today is that All of us have some minor flaws, and then there are a few of the other type. I think the problem today in our actual lives in which we work and play and love and fight, the problem is that we are caught in a web of sin, corruption, and violence, along with the whole world, as it's been since Adam and Eve first got kicked out of Eden. From cancerous cells to societal ills, to diseased souls, what's wrong with the world is that it fails to recognize God. The well-ordered world fails to pay its respect to the one who ordered it. We see this failure of recognition play out in the priests who question John the Baptist, who are you? We see it in John's poem, the world didn't recognize the light, John says. And if we're honest, we see it in our own lives, don't we, from time to time, as we fail to recognize the extent of God's grace on any given day. This failure of recognition leads to ingratitude, and it leads to whole-scale resistance toward God and God's will for the world, God's goodwill toward men. And women. But here are the good news. Once we get a handle on the reality of the sin of the world, we realize just how inadequate we are to correct these failures on our own. Once we recognize sin for what it is, we realize that it needs more than a little tinkering here and there. So we are freed from the illusion that we can control them, more or less, ourselves. There must be another way if we stand a chance. What's necessary for our cure is something far more potent than our willpower. Do you want to be well? Do you want to get a hold of the medicine that cures? Do you want to know the remedy of the sin of the world? Then look to where John the Baptist points and recognize it for what it is. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The broken system, the fractured universe, the dark magic that has cast its spell over us all. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The cancerous cells the societal ills, the damned souls. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The depressed old man and the bickering spouses, the anxious teenager. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Friends, we must discover our remedy in Jesus the Lamb. He is called the Lamb because He comes to us in gentleness. He comes to us as vulnerable as a newborn baby. Look at those precious twins, will ya? He comes to us gently. He comes to us vulnerably. He comes to us in a way that slips past our defense mechanisms. The eternal Word becomes flesh and woos us over with his love but he also is called the lamb for another reason because he comes with power as the atoning sacrifice for the sin of the world like the sacrifice offered by zachariah on the day of atonement which covered the sins of israel with grace But Jesus is the sacrifice who covers the sin of the world. This is the mystery we stumble upon when God opens our eyes to behold Jesus the Lamb. In his gentleness, he is slaughtered. In his power, he is raised. And through it all, we are saved. Glory to God in the the highest and peace to all men and women on earth. Cyril of Alexandria, he's a 4th century Christian. He recognizes the thrill of this mystery as well. I've included the word in your sermon notes. You might want to reflect on this later. He writes, But now the lamb, the spotless sacrifice, is led to the slaughter for all, that he might drive away the sin of the world, that he might overturn the destroyer of the earth, that dying he might annihilate death, that he might undo the curse that is upon us. For one lamb died for all, saving the whole flock on earth to God the Father, one for all, that he might subject all to God. So let us give ourselves wholly to Jesus, the Lamb, today. Let us give our eyes to him that they might be opened to see God's work all around us in our actual worlds, in our daily lives. See for yourself the activity of God all around you every single day. God's activity in you and through you and sometimes in spite of you. When you get to the end of the day, Maybe after the evening news, maybe instead of the evening news, reflect on the day with the eyes of faith. Note where God was at work, and remember, God works like a lamb. God comes as a babe in a manger. Pray with me. O oh Lord, may you do with us what you did to John. By your grace, open our eyes. By your word and by your sacrament. We can't recognize you or your actions on our own. We need your aid, your remedy. So give us spiritual eyes, O Lord, that we might see the world with new eyes. Unveil your spirit unleashed in the world, and having seen it, let us respond appropriately in the coming year. Amen.